The worship theme this month is inheritance. We have inherited part of our Unitarian faith from a region in Eastern Europe called Transylvania, which over the last hundreds of years has been part of Hungary and now Romania, not by their choice. 450 years ago, a king there proclaimed that instead of one national religion, that diverse religions would be tolerated. The Unitarian Church was founded. And then it was later that then that part of Hungary became part of Romania. This past summer, I journeyed with 10 Unitarian Universalist ministers from North America to spend two weeks there. We attended seven worship services, visited 15 churches, and I met over 30 different ministers and they come in all shapes and sizes. At the end of the trip, I went for three days to the village called Olteviz, where this congregation has a partner church. And you'll see two candles lit over here. One of the candles is white with red decoration. That is the Transylvanian cultural um, decoration, as you see also on my stole. This stole was made for me by one of the women in the congregation there before she'd even ever met me. The other candlestick is symbolizing our relationship with our partner church in the country of India in a region called the Kasi Hills. And thanks to Sally Taylor and some other families and youth in our church, we have a display about the Kasi Hills in the social hall today. On the last morning of my trip in Transylvania, I sat with my hosts over breakfast, fresh jam from their garden, bread made the day before, and cheese from a nearby village. And I said to them, now that I've been here two weeks, I'm trying to figure out what I can tell the people back home. And I think that what I've learned is you all lived through communism, you're separated from your country of origin, and the new economy is drawing the youth away from your villages. I think I've come to learn that those are the pressures that you live with. My host responded, and this is Istvan, our partner church minister. He responded, yes, for us, it is about surviving. Surviving. For them, surviving means literally having church buildings in which to meet. Right now, the upkeep of the buildings is difficult to fund because of lower attendance and because the craftsmen have gone to other parts of Europe where they can earn more money. For them, surviving means that during communism, sometimes their legal right to meet was questioned and sometimes their symbols, their ministers, and their buildings were highly regulated. For them, surviving sometimes means the question of whether the very words of their language are understood, because after World War I, because of how Hungary had fought, the region of Transylvania was taken away from Hungary and given to Romania. Romanians moved in and began to consume the rich agriculture and minerals when intermarriages occurred, the children usually spoke Romanian, 
and worshiped in the Orthodox Church. Now, the Hungarian language is the language of the Unitarian Church, but it is not the language in which the road signs are written or the government communicates policies. Today, sometimes, ministers there have to make choices about whether to do a funeral in the Hungarian language of the deceased person or the Romanian language of the survivors who are there to grieve. These kind of choices stress one's very identity and values. Surviving. Many of you know about surviving. Some humans spend a whole lifetime surviving. Some humans go into survival mode sometimes and then have a relief from that at other times. So what can we learn from them about surviving? Today, I want to suggest these three things. They teach their children core values. They still find joy amidst obstacles. They are clever. But first, let me frame this with a little bit more history, theology, and social analysis. So the geographical language, excuse me, the geographical location of Transylvania is that it is a ring of mountains, and in the middle is the Carpathian Basin. And so what that means is it's been a very desirable location for the conquerors coming from the east, so the Turkish Empire 500 years ago, and then 500 years ago, it would have been the conquerors coming from the West, the Europeans. They wanted those mountain minerals. They wanted that, those fruits and vegetables from that region, which is very similar to the Shenandoah Valley. But it was a very difficult place to conquer because of the mountains. After World War I, as I said, Transylvania went to Rome. It became drawn within the lines of Romania but the people in Transylvania did not speak Romanian. Later, from the mid-1960s to 1989, they lived under communism, and it was not communism with the um, blissful ideal of everyone sharing everything happily, but a painful truth of one person who was very brutal and brought other people into those brutal actions. In 2007, they joined the European Union. This means that there has been an influx of goods, and it means that now you can kind of look around and see that convenience stores are new, the cell phones are new, there's all these new goods that they are adapting to living with. Two years from now, in the year 2020, the country of Romania will be celebrating 100 years since its formation, which included Transylvania, but the Hungarian people there don't want to celebrate that. Let me give you some framework of their theology. The Unitarians there do not believe that the Bible is the literal word of God. They do read the Bible in every service, and the minister preaches on the content of the Bible. They reject the Trinity. A note about the historical import of rejecting the Trinity. If you think about 450 years ago, where the Muslims were coming in from the east, 
the, um, there were Jewish folks spread throughout the region. The Muslims also come from the Abrahamic tradition, but they don't, and they believe that Jesus was, excuse me, they believe in prophets, but because the Unitarians rejected the Trinity, it meant that they had more in common with the Muslims. Also, because the Jews believe in God and believe in the possibility of prophets, it meant maintaining some connection with the Jews. So it allowed peacekeeping in the region. The Unitarians do not believe that Jesus' death leads to benefit for us today. The resurrection is not part of their theology. As I said, they believe that he was, had some divine qualities and was a prophet. They do celebrate communion. For them, the communion is not the body and blood of Christ. It is a meal shared together about kinship and sharing the harvest. They have the communion together four times a year. Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, and Pentecost is part of the Christian tradition to acknowledge a time in the biblical story when people who spoke different languages came together and could understand each other. And then the fourth time that they have communion is Thanksgiving. And that was a few weeks ago, the last Sunday in September. It's a harvest festival, and the churches are integrated in that. As I met these different ministers and learned about the challenges that they face, one of the things that struck me is what it means to have a church staff there. The church staff at a church there is the minister, the organist, and the bell ringer. The bell ringer climbs up a flight of stairs and then up a ladder and then maybe up another ladder and 30 minutes before worship, they ring the bell so people know to begin coming out of the fields to the church. And then they ring it again five minutes before. The other time that the bell ringer rings the bell is at the end of the day when the shepherd, who has had all the village cows up in the field, is bringing the cows back into town. And it lets people to know to come out of their houses and bring the cows from the village center into their yards. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Some of the cows even knew which yard to go in without anybody telling them. Um, so one of the things that I learned on this trip and the other ministers from North America noticed they were learning, and even one of the ministers there challenged us on this. They said that often in the United States, in Unitarian Universalist circles, we are taught about Transylvania as if it is part of our history and the story ends there. And what I find so enlivening is to have had this visceral experience of what is real and current now. So I will tell you some of the challenges that they are facing now. And they remind me of some of the social justice challenges that we struggle with. They face corporations from other parts of the world that would like to profit by mining in ways that threaten environmental destruction and pollution. They have statues in their public spaces that do not represent history as they know it. So an example of this is 
on the street, I saw, uh, I thought it was a really pretty statue. I think it was of a wolf. It was of a mammal, and it, the mammal was nursing their young. And I was like, wow, look at that. That's so pretty, nature. And the leader of our trip said, well, that's the symbol of Romania and conquering. And all of a sudden, it didn't feel like a very nice statue. Also, they face situations where national needs are being put ahead of human rights. And I would say that in our country today, we are seeing some talk from our government and other people who say that our national needs are more important than the people who are trying to find safety and refuge in our country. So when I listened to their perspective over these two weeks, it occurred to me that their point of view might be somewhat like the point of view 300 years ago in this region of the Monacan Indian nation before this place was called Virginia. They also know about war. We visited a church and had a picnic in the back of the churchyard and the minister showed us a tree and she said, in this tree, two little boys sat and watched the World War II battles in the field behind. They know about war. They know that war is so costly they would rather not have it and they want to find ways to preserve human rights and freedoms without war. And so I want to lift up the link to the coming United Nations Day on October 24th and the coming Veterans Day on November 11th. And this links to a point that was made by one of the lecturers that we heard who is a Unitarian from the Philippines. And she's not ordained because there isn't an ordaining body in the Philippines but through her personal study of the Christian scriptures, she has come to claim Unitarianism as her faith. And she says, power and freedom mean having the potential to do something and then living into it. Power and freedom mean having the potential to do something and then living into it. So my friends, listening to other people's deep truths does not happen automatically. The organizers of this trip thought carefully. It was the organizers from the Professional Association of Ministers here and the Professional Association of Ministers there. And they got together and came up with a plan for our four-day retreat in the middle of the trip. That retreat was held at a retreat center that is run by a minister's family. And we did not start with deep, frank conversation. We started by eating together. Then we worshiped together. Then we played games together. Then we didn't talk. We, we, we were chatting, but then we traveled on a bus to historic churches together. Then we had that picnic in the backyard of a church house. Then, some of us went to sleep, 
and some of them went out and drank beer and watched the World Cup together. And after a few days of that kind of sharing, then we were able to ask and hear some of the deeper questions. So I want to share with you some of the, the rawness of the dilemmas that I heard. One person said, we know that Russia and the United States are poised to fight each other and we are in the middle. What can we do? We are just happy that it isn't happening right now. Another one said, we are white, middle-class, educated people who are in an ethnic and religious minority. We want to maintain ourselves. So how do we do diversity? Another one asked, what are we born for? What is the message we want to send the world? Keeping up buildings is one thing, but keeping up the next generation is another thing. We must have rites of passage, and we need a space to have them in. One thing that I found especially moving was from one of the ministers here in the United States reflecting on the partner church relationship that the, the congregation that he serves has had. And here's how he discusses it. He says, a truly mutual partnership with people in so many ways different from us can help us work with others for justice at home. So for me and my congregation here in the United States, partnership with Unitarians in Transylvania and with Unitarians in a remote Philippines village who were doing poor subsistence farming helped us learn how to journey with African-American Black Lives Matter activists here in the United States. And so I said earlier, I think there are three ways that we can learn from how they are surviving. One, they have values as core and they teach those values to their children. They recite a catechism. A catechism is a set of statements that are religious beliefs and it can be used where you ask someone to memorize that and then that becomes their statement of faith. We do not ask our youth to memorize a catechism. They, are, they do learn something called the rainbow chalice um, between like kindergarten and fifth grade, and it's a way of remembering the seven principles according to color. But by the time the youth in this congregation and th most of the United States become teenagers, they go through a year-long program in which they're invited to explore their beliefs and then to stand in this pulpit at the end of the year and state them. But I want to throw out there that perhaps we could lean more in the direction of offering them a statement of beliefs to lean on in hard times. And I will just say that during the first service and the second service, some of the folks I've seen nodding are some of the folks that I know have worked for decades with youth and who grew up in this tradition. They have easily recognizable symbols of their religion and their culture. 
we do that too. I think the, the chalice that we have is um, pretty clear and recognizable. They have a summer camp for their kids. We do things like that too. They have a unique thing because the Romanian government has a department of religion and because the public schools have a time slot during the day for religion class, but the student gets to choose what religion they're gonna learn about, the Unitarian ministers go into the schools and teach a unit on Unitarian religion. And usually it's the Unitarian kids who come to that class, but sometimes other kids come. So that's part of the minister's job, is going and teaching in the public schools. The second thing that I think they do well is have joy amidst obstacles. Like I said, the Thanksgiving harvest celebration is part of the church tradition. They are hospitable and loving, they love play, and they enjoy their culture. And third, as I said, they are clever. So here's an example. During communism, some, one of the Unitarian ministers was standing up to the government that he found repressive and trying to make an international statement. A plaque was created to honor his efforts. The government did not like that. The, the minister of that church then took the plaque down, hid it in the bottom of a chicken coop, and it stayed there for many decades until after communism ended in 1989, and now it is back up on the wall in that building. Another story, after communism was gaining more um, foothold in the 60s and 70s, the government came to the Unitarian High School and said, um, we wanna use your building as one of our public schools, so that's what we're gonna do. So the principal took the flag from outside and hid that flag inside the library of this big old historical building. Every year the communist government came and searched for that flag and every year they could not find it. And now it is hanging again outside the Unitarian High School in Koloshvar. Another thing that they've done which is very clever is some of the ministers now who are in their 30s have taken the old traditional hymns and put them to rock music. And they travel around and they sing them. And when we heard their band play, I was so moved because when they would introduce each hymn, they clearly were drawing sustenance from these statements of faith that then they put into this really pleasurable music. So what I'm trying to lift up is that imagination is, is a, is a God-given trait, a, a God-given trait. And I believe that we should claim our imaginations, we should claim our cleverness, we should claim our creativity, and we should use it to preserve what we find valuable. And so my friends, as I close this sermon, I want to lift up some possible action items for you. So one action item that I encourage you to is when you engage with news media to especially pay attention to what's going on in Romania and Hungary. So even though the Unitarians are in the country called Romania, they identify with the Hungarian culture. That's their heritage. 
Right now, the Hungarian government is doing some things that are against their religious values. And it puts them in a really sticky spot. So then that leads to the second action item. If you feel moved, if you pray, if you meditate for the well-being of the world, please include them in your prayers and meditations for their wisdom and strength. Third, in our congregation, we have had in the past a partner church committee. It has um, gotten to a, a, a very small, quiet stage, and it could come into a bigger, more robust stage. If you feel inclined to volunteer to help organize um, partner church activities, please do. Two bits of encouragement toward that. One of the congregations that we met there has a monthly video chat. Three people from their congregation have a monthly video chat with three people from the congregation in the US, and they share joys and sorrows and hopes and dreams and ideas. And in this congregation, after Istvan, who is up there, Istvan the minister there, and his wife Melinda, they visited in this congregation about seven years ago. And after that, Eric arranged for Istvan to video chat to one of our, one of our adult classes. Another bit of encouragement is that there's an organization called the Unitarian Universalist Partner Church Council, and that's a nonprofit that simply serves these relationships. And one of the things they'll do is send a staff person or a volunteer to spend a weekend with us and help us reinvigorate this program. Another action item that you could consider, this is a puzzle. So I want you to know that when I was there, I received this gift. This gift is sent to the congregation. The picture of, on this puzzle is the Edict of Torda. It's a painting symbolizing an event that happened 450 years ago when the king there declared religious tolerance. And so um, two of our church members are getting ready to plan a puzzle night. So if you're looking for a, a good social outing, that could be it. And then finally, if it happens that your budget allows, or if you're able to get a scholarship, consider taking one of the organized trips with the Partnership Council to Transylvania. Or if it happens that you're traveling in that region for, to see family or on business, go for a few days and spend a few days with um, Isvan and Melinda and the congregation there. One thing that I found very humbling was I think that I had been thinking of myself in relationship with a minister instead of a congregation in relationship with a congregation. They were so welcoming to me and they are eager to be welcoming to you. Yesterday, Isvan sent me a message saying that they are praying for us and that they are ready to welcome you there. They end their sermons with a moment of silent reflection. So I invite us now to enter a time of reflecting on what we have heard, what you have heard. Blessed be.